with souls bearing Good morning. This is Ellie Newman on It's Relationship. My guest today is Sonia Summer. We'll be talking about her relation to mind, body, and spiritual vitality. Sonia is a sought-after practitioner of structural integration who's been running a successful private practice for the past 15 years in Sun Valley, Idaho. Sonia works with individuals from all walks of life with a focus on those seeking real transformation and personal evolution. After working with her, clients experience relief from pain in their body while learning tools to take back control of their own well-being and realign their life. Sonia has over 20 years of experience in the field with additional qualifications in massage therapy, sports training, nutrition, and as a professional member of the International Association of Structural Integrators. She's been a student of Hua Shan Taoist Qi Kung for the past decade and the energy medicine of Quero shamans, gaining hands-on experience working directly with shamans in Peru. Sonia's worked at the Australian Institute of Sport with Olympic athletes to help them optimize performance. Welcome, Sonia. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks, Ellie. Nice to be here. It's really nice to have you on the show today. I've been excited to talk to you and have this conversation. I noticed on uh, your website you have a tagline that's free your body, free your life. And you say, "I, I translate things like somatic experience and mindful awareness into useful tools and immediately implementable tips that will help you feel great and get closer to the life you want. And I just wonder if you could talk a little bit about the way that you do this. Sure. Um, you know, originally I always worked with people's bodies. And as you mentioned, I work with athletes a lot and people with injury and What I noticed is when I started working with people's bodies, some interesting things would happen with their mind as well. And even their lives would sort of start to change. And it was kind of fascinating to me how this worked. And uh, so over the years, I've started to um, specifically nurture those aspects of people's mind and life that started to change as well with tools like mindful awareness and meditation practices and um, other things to help really support these significant changes that people were feeling. And and in your work it says a strong, limber, joyful body that moves through the world with ease, a calm, focused mind that can find beauty just about anywhere, mindfulness. You say if you want an easy, inspired, energy-filled life, I can help get those, a spirit that connects with the universe and your soul's intentions, tapping into your innate awareness of why you're here and what you're doing with your time on this planet. Okay, and I'm like, okay, I can't imagine anyone that doesn't want that. And I'm thinking, too, that's a really tall order. And so some of the things you, you talk about is creating tools and, and tips for doing this, that you'll help people break free from the physical and mel- mental patterns that have stopped them from feeling great and living their, their full lives. Do you have a set way that you work with people? Do you have sort of a standard pattern of where you start and how that progresses? Yeah, I, I have a basic uh, progression, which is always uh, working with the body first because that's really the strong foundation for any changes which people want to have in their life. Uh, So I always start with the body and then uh, we go into the mind and soul practices. And why start with the body first? Why is that the starting point? Because it's, for me, it's the foundation in which the mind and soul reside. So unless your body is well cared for with good nutrition, the right amount of sleep, exercise, basic care, anything that you do with your mind and spirit is not really going to be sustainable. Without the the change in the body first? Right. It's like um, plowing the field to sow the seeds to grow um, vegetables on a farm. It's like the body's like the soil that has to be well prepared and tilled first. And then you can plant the seeds and water them. And anything you do from there will be much more sustainable. And believe me, I learned this firsthand because I used to do a ton of spiritual practice and meditation. I'd spend hours a day um, and my body wasn't really 
being well taken care of. And so you were doing that prior to the body work? Well, you had started there. I'd, I'd always done body I've been doing body work for 20 years, but uh, I, I just hadn't quite honed in on my nutrition and and really specific aspects of taking care of myself. I, I just didn't really quite understand uh, what I needed specifically. And so until I did that, uh, anything that I did in those other realms really um, almost made me worse, to be honest. So I, I really learned this firsthand and through watching my clients as well. And so you, you also say that your work is occasionally based in the metaphysical. What, what does that mean, being based in the metaphysical? Yeah, good question. It, it always sounds a bit woo-woo, doesn't it? And it did to me as well. You know, for years and years and years, I'd watch these people doing energy medicine and um, and I just thought it was really weird, personally. And then um, when my life kind of started coming crashing down and I got on my knees and started praying for help uh, I I learned about energy medicine and the way that that all works and and why did it seem weird to you at first like what was it about it that metaphysical things that seemed off-putting or seemed weird I don't know I think I just come from a really um logical scientifically trained background you know I studied with an anatomist and I studied sports science and all these things which were very um, mainstream and I'm fairly stubborn so it takes me quite a while to come around and so was it that it didn't make sense to you that it didn't have any sort of basis in science or that it was something that just seemed apart from from what you were doing in your world I think I just had never had a first-hand experience of it, so I couldn't really grasp what it was. And it wasn't until I had a direct experience one day of my uh, spirit leaving my body, which was quite unexpected, that I suddenly opened my eyes and went, okay, maybe there's something to this, and uh, I better take a good hard look at it. And so was that a pleasant experience or <laughs> unpleasant experience, a shocking experience? What were the circumstances around that happening? Were you trying for that? I wasn't trying for that. Um and it was all of the above. It was unexpected, um, absolutely incredible, and completely life-changing. I, I was doing a lot of Qigong at the time. And what is Qigong? Uh, Qigong's a little bit like the Chinese version of yoga. Um, it's an energetic practice where we train the breath and the body and the mind to all come into alignment, ultimately for good health and, if you really go for it, enlightenment. But uh, I'll just go for good health at this point. <laughs> and so you were doing a lot of Qigong. Were you doing Qigong at the time? Yeah, I, ha I was with my teacher in Crestone, Colorado, uh, studying, and I had just done several hours of training with him. And I was actually having a structural integration session with one of the masters, um, David Davis. And during my session, my spirit fled out of my body and filled up the room and uh, it was pretty epic and uh, really changed my life. That something that different or dramatic or metaphysical could, could ha happen to you? Yeah, just, I mean... And so what were you in the practice for? So, you know, you were in a sort of spiritual mindful body practice hours a day working with masters. What were you after if you didn't really at that point believe in the metaphysical? Oh, mate, I just wanted to feel good. To feel good. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm one of those highly sensitive people, and life's been a real struggle for me. And I just wanted to feel good, basically. And what had led you to that, to that, those um, avenues at that point? Um, Why choose that? Qigong. Mm -hmm. uh, one of my structural integration teachers was studying Qigong, and he came up here to work with me for a while with my clients, and... I looked at what he was doing and it was like magic. And I said, I want what you've got. <laughs> what do I do? His, and what about him looked like magic? The, the practice or his life or the, his, his uh, existence? Well, uh, specifically what he was doing with our clients 
because we were working on people together and he was uh, creating shifts in them that I I couldn't explain through just the physical contact and I really wanted to learn how to do that and I thought that it was going to be something, a technique that I would go and study and he said, no, it really all comes from inside of you and so you need to go and tune your insides. And, and So when he said that, was that like, okay, I don't know how to do that or did that make sense at the time? It does now. Yeah, yeah. It seems like it would now, but I'm just wondering at the time you hadn't sort of had those experiences yet. Did you know what he meant? No, not really. And I'd listen to him um, talk and talk and he talked so beautifully about all of these things and and it just sounded really wonderful. And I think it also tapped into a part of me that I had uh, sort of gotten out of touch with. Because I remember as a kid being really, really fascinated with magic and, and all kinds of things that are mysterious. And, and when I listened to him talk, it reminded me of how I used to feel as a kid and it seemed kind of natural And to was me. that something when you were a child, was that acceptable? Was that supported? You also said you were really sensitive and so you're probably noticing a lot of things that maybe other people didn't notice. Was that acceptable in your household or in your environment you were growing up in? Yeah, it was actually. Yeah, not that I talked about it too much. I mean, I think I remember telling my mum that I'd seen... Um, a few ghosts wandering around the house and she kind of laughed but supported me Um, so yeah it it was very much supported but I think I just kind of forgot about it and life happened and life gets a bit serious and it did and in your attention maybe was elsewhere that's right so you also said you studied with shamans in Peru can you tell us a little bit about what that experience was like? Yeah, you, you're really diving into my alternative side here, Ellie. Well, we're gonna, we've, got, we've got pages, believe me, yeah. on the more structural and pragmatic, but I just wanted to start a little bit with what these experiences were like mm-hmm. and the, varied, the variedness of them. Yeah, well, I think that this happens for a lot of us helper healer types is that we go on our own journey and we have these big life struggles and I was going through all kinds of struggles Um, you know I'd been through a divorce I had a brand new baby I was living here on my own trying to figure all of that out and and just that extreme sensitivity to the world that I had and up until that point, had you had any sort of practical means of dealing with it? Were you more just plug through, shut it out? Or did you have ways of dealing with the intense reactions and, and sensitivity that you were having to the, your environment surroundings? No, I didn't have very good tools. I mean, luckily, I come from an athletic background. So I did, to a certain degree, know how to take care of my body and eat well so that was really helpful but um, no I really had to go into the depths of my own struggle and inability to deal with my sensitivity to find these jewels and one of the jewels was um, you know again (laughs) for the umpteenth time falling to my knees and praying for help and when you do that it comes and I had a dream one night about these old men on a mountaintop in Peru. And they said, when are you coming? <laughs> That's pretty clear. I like when these oracles are so specific and clear. Right. It was really clear. And then it, it just sort of everything unfolded before me. And pretty soon, I think within a few months, the opportunity arose for me to go down to Peru. And I met the very same men that I saw in my dream. So and that, so what was your reaction to that? This was post the, the experience with your spirit leaving your body, I assume. Right. And so was that more like, oh, yeah, this is how things work? I mean, did you know right after you had the dream that you were going to go? Something in me knew that it was obvious. It was like an unstoppable force <laughs> leading me on. And what did the other part of you do? Well, what, the, Was there a part that was like, oh, we're not going, we have a new baby, <laughs> we've got all of our work, we can't go? Was there that struggle or, or did you had you left that conflict already? There was a little bit of that. I mean, you have to be practical. And, and you know, fortunately, my ex-husband, who's just wonderful, said, yeah, okay, if you need to go, go. So I was very much supported Um Really, the force was greater than me, and I I just knew that I was going to go. 
All right. Well, we're going to take a short break. This is Ellie Newman on It's Relationship, and I am here with Sonia Summer. We are talking about vitality through integrating a healthy mind, body, and spirit. So we will be right back. We're back, and this is Ellie Newman on It's Relationship. I'm here with Sonia Summer, and we were talking at the break about, you know, having jumped in right into kind of the juicy pieces of her history, and she said, well, you know, I I guess it's not everyone that has, you know, had this experience, and I said, yes, I don't think most of us have had dreams where shamans appear and say, come, come, when are you coming? We're here waiting, and then we actually go, and there they are. So uh, we'll spend a little more time on this. So can you just tell us a little bit more what your experience was like once you got to Peru and, and what it was like being with the shamans and had you been anywhere any place like that prior or is this a completely new experience it was a completely new experience and frankly I just felt like I was home again right from the get-go pretty much yeah I I knew I was where I had to be and I had the great privilege of doing ceremony almost every day with just a small group of people and several of these beautiful shamans and it it felt like I'd been doing it forever. And you had you studied the shamanistic culture and belief system prior to going? Just a little tiny bit. Um, so I knew the basics and I had read some books and uh, I, I did know a little bit about it but not a lot. I, again it was a leap of faith. And did it feel, when you say we're at home, so did it feel like something that was in alignment with your with your soul and your sort of senses at the time? Absolutely. Uh, like I mentioned before, I think that I was born this way. And as a child, I was always reading books about Merlin and magic and making potions and healing my family and my friends. And somewhere along the lines, I just forgot that for 30 odd years and so when I came back to it it was really clear to it me. It was there. Yeah. So you spent also years immersed as you just were talking about in science and uh, sports science and neuropathy and you designed body work for Olympic athletes and professional athletes nutrition and training programs what was it like working with the professional athletes? Oh I loved it. Um, it was great fun because I was really fascinated with how we could squeeze a few extra seconds out of people (laughs) and um, human performance is just fascinating to me I mean I'm still in that same field but there it was very specific to athletic performance and I really enjoyed working with athletes and was your work focused with a specific type of athlete were you working with one sport people from one sport or was it a variety um mostly I worked with the Australian freestyle ski team um, because they really needed a lot of body work (laughs) I saw some very young people teenagers who were doing aerials and moguls and their spines were really having a hard time with the high impact so I worked specifically with skiers and then in summer a fair bit with triathletes as well and were you starting to notice any sort of disconnects at that point? Were you looking at sort of dealing with performance and creating peak performance with just this one linear focus of the physical? Or, or were you so focused at that point that it, that's where your mind was? Or were you starting to see that maybe there was more to it that would make people progress more quickly or more fully? Yeah, I was always looking at um, what can we do that's more for these people, especially when I worked uh, for a short period of time at the Institute of Sports. I was working with all different kinds of athletes and I watched them training so hard that they were always in varying degrees of injury. And I would say to the physical therapist, you know, at what point do they get a rest and can we try yoga or can we try something else to help them because... um, I just felt like they needed a more well-rounded approach. And luckily, that organization is pretty progressive and they were doing things like yoga and Pilates. And um, so I was always interested in the bigger picture. And they were receptive to that. Was there any element of the spiritual uh, involved at that point in in your work? No, the answer would be. (laughs) And was there in your life yet? Had you made that leap yet? 
No, I, I kind of forgot about all things spiritual for a while. You know, I had a really difficult experience in my teens where I was um, taking a taxi home one night and I was brutally attacked by the taxi driver. And I think from that point on, I kind of gave up on God and spirituality and just stayed with everything that I could see and touch like the physical body so no no spiritual aspect whatsoever and you said after years of doing this I can watch a person walk across the room and tell you which muscles are tight why they're that way and how we can change your movement patterns to relieve your pain and improve your life is that the rolfing work does that come from the rolfing work you've done it does. And and people should know that rolfing is kind of the slang term for structural integration. So there's often a bit of confusion about that. But they're basically one and the same. Um, I'll clarify <laughs> that rolfing was named after its founder, Dr. Ida P. Rolf. And rolfing is structural integration, a form of body work that recognizes the connective tissue called fascia that permeates the entire body. I'll give a little history. More than 50 years ago, Dr. Rolf recognized that the body is inherently a system of seamless networks of tissues rather than a collection of separate parts, that these connective tissues surround, support, and penetrate all of the muscles, bones, nerves, and organs. Rolfing structural integration works on these web-like complex of connective tissues to release, realign, and balance the whole body, thus potentially resolving discomfort, reducing compensations, and alleviating pain. It aims to restore flexibility, revitalize your energy, and leave you feeling more comfortable in your body. I was reading too, she talks about that gravity is sort of pulling on us and that creates restrictions. And I was wondering, sort of thinking, you know, we gravity is our natural state. And so what is it about us being here on Earth and with gravity that these restrictions start to develop and misalignments in our body? It's modern life, basically, um, <clears throat> where doing things with our bodies that don't serve it well, like sitting in chairs, um, eating the wrong things. We have injury. We have habitual ways of holding our body, which can come from emotional states of mind, um, as well as just anything that's happened in our history. And so we're, we're doing things the wrong way and gravity starts to work against us rather than supporting us. And when you come back into a natural state of alignment through this structural integration process, you really get a feeling of lift and support by gravity. And that's that feeling of ease and effortlessness that we used to have when we were young. So you're in balance with it rather than sort of in uh, imbalance or disalignment even with gravity, with the, the environment, physical environment that you're existing in. That's right. That's right. Uh, because when when anything gets offline or off center, gravity's going to start to push more deeply on it. On those parts. Right. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that mm-hmm. instead of on the integrated whole. And so over a million people, probably even more, and how old this uh, website was just looking at, have had, had, had some sort of rolfing work. I grew up in the world of the 70s with primal therapy and bioenergetics and rolfing was very popular and it was always seemed to be very painful when <laughs> you hear people talking about it and it seemed sort of extremely aggressive and and painful i was just watching a video on it a recent video and it seemed like maybe it was a little bit more you know kinder and more gentle um is that so has it changed in the last 40 years Absolutely. Yeah, it has a terrible reputation. And I spend at least half of my time reassuring people. That Is it I'm... a deserved reputation? Was it really that back <laughs> it then was. when it started? It was brutal. And in fact, one of my original rolfing teachers um, was so brutal that I came off the table bruised and in tears and <laughs> probably swearing a little bit. It used to be much more harsh. And but you stuck with it, even when it was brutal, and why was that? Curiously, I did. Uh, well, I had another teacher, Tom Myers, who incorporated a, a more sensitive side and talked a little bit about 
the other components that went along with rolfing, like these life changes that people were experiencing and the more spiritual component to it. So I, I listened to him and that was very inspiring for me and have developed my own methods from that original training, which are much much less painful. I don't even want to use the word painful. I know. But here I'm watching her working on Twin's foot and she's, you know, digging in, breaking apart the fascia. And I just thought, oh, I can imagine. Yeah. Like. The thing about the sensations that people have, um, and this is what my clients tell me time and time again, is that any time that the work we're doing feels really uh, full of sensation, it always feels hugely appropriate and like a relief like an itch that they've had for the last 30 years that we're finally scratching so it's um, pain going out of the body from old injury and distortion rather than pain being inflicted into it and there's a very big difference in that feeling and it's very physical for you the practitioner as well right you're using your all the parts of your body you're very physical with with doing it mm -hmm. is that something that took quite a bit of practice did that come naturally for you as a way of working with people oh no it took practice i, I remember my first few clients when i was studying where I always seem to get the big men the six foot something tall men and here was I a little Aussie chick and I really had to learn how to use my body to get this work done so it took practice for sure and is it intimidating on an emotional level as well that you are really you know one step beyond a typical massage you are really getting there and connecting with this person mm. and how do you deal with the relationship with that between the two of you it's it's an incredible honor for me um i don't know if i was ever uncomfortable with it because uh, because of my own life experiences i have immense compassion for other people's life experiences um now I see it as very much a union between my client and I and we come together to uncover the best version of themselves. So I don't really ever feel like I'm doing anything to them. We're working together and it's just a magical process and I, lo I love watching people unfold in that way. And when you're going in and you're breaking up these restrictions, what keeps them from just coming right back together? When you work on connective tissue or fascia, which is sort of the white meaty stuff that's everywhere in our body, it has kind of a plastic quality. So it's a bit like taking a plastic bag and stretching it out. It tends to stay that way versus purely focusing on muscle tissue, which is a bit more elastic and will tend to bounce back. And does it have the same, you know, they say muscle memory. Does it have the same memory that muscle memory has where it will tend to go back to the structure that it was in even after you adjust it? It, it doesn't tend to go back. That's the beauty of this process. It's very much a long term change that people are experiencing. And what's the relationship between the muscles and the muscle memory and the fascia? Well, muscles are contained within the fascia. The fascia is sort of the... Who's the boss? <laughs> is there a boss? Well, if you ask a rolfer, <laughs> we'll say that the fascia is, is the boss um, of everything that gives our bodies shape. Uh, because the bones and the muscles float within the fascia so that's why we're focusing on it to create change in shape and you've got to remember that uh, it's not just a piece of dead meat <laughs> we're highly intelligent spiritual um, beings beyond our wildest imagination so when when I'm working with someone it's very much two intelligent systems communicating with each other um, and so that in and of itself helps to create these dramatic changes. And so the, I'm kind of picturing the fascia as the universe within which there, the space within which the, the bones and the skeletal, the muscles are living, orbiting, floating about. Do they get changed 
when you're changing the fascia, is there a, a domino effect? Yeah, and it's it's instant. Um, everything gets changed when you change the fascia because I love your description of it being like the universe. Your entire physiology changes when your fascia changes because everything is seamlessly one actually the muscles and bones and the blood and nervous system and everything is just one beautifully functioning organism and so when you change one thing for the better everything changes for the better you've described yourself as a born helper a way shower an artist of life i wonder if you could just explain that a, a little bit especially the way shower part i liked that well you know, I drive my close friends crazy sometimes because I'm always trying to show them the way when perhaps they don't need it. So now I'm trying to just... Or maybe they need it, but they don't want it. It's a big <laughs> well, difference there. I've been accused of overhelping and I think that's right. So luckily, uh, it, this is also... Um, I've realised that this is my work and why really I came here, perhaps, to Earth uh, to to help people find the way. And it's what... I think about 24-7. It's what I love to do is uh, help people. And was that the helping piece was there sort of from the beginning, even in the 30 years when you had maybe left the other pieces to the side? Were you helping people? Was that your sort of primary focus all along? That part didn't get lost. No, that didn't get lost because still, you know, I've been doing body work for more than 20 years. So... And I've only really integrated the soul pieces and the mind practices in the last probably 10 years. So I was always helping people. And you said I work to bridge the gap between the woo-woo. We talked about that a little bit. About the woo-woo may be off-putting or a little daunting. And with the doable, is it a big gap still to you, the between the two, between the, the physical and the doable and the practical and the scientific and the woo-woo? Not at all. And fortunately, if you listen to uh, any current scientists, quantum physicists. Um, I love listening to people like Bruce Lipton, who's a cellular biologist. He talks so beautifully about um, the energetic component of reality, which is actually 99.9% of reality is invisible energy. So there's no gap whatsoever. It's just for me a little bit of uh, a fun job to try to bridge the gap for other people who still might be thinking that it's weird. But once people understand it and can start to incorporate their understanding of the energetic aspect of reality into their life, it's extremely helpful. And do you find with your clients, do they need to have a sort of major life-changing event like their soul leaving their body or <laughs> some something that striking? Or does it, with most of them, tend to be a gradual process in, in uh, being able to put both of those worlds together? I think it's typically a more gradual process. It, it seems to me in talking to colleagues and other people who are doing the kind of work that I'm doing, not just Rolfing, but anyone who, who helps people with transformation <clears throat> and taking care of them, their lives, we go through maybe a more dramatic shift and we're really forced to develop and understand tools and methods to make it work and then we can help other people go through it in a more gradual way because generally gradual is better and more sustainable more sustainable you think <laughs> than the than the drastic absolutely all right i just want to finish up a little bit on the physical element the rolfing where do the restrictions we talked a little bit about where they come from they talk about maybe things you're doing with your body that aren't um really the best and and in in alignment with nature are there other areas where these restrictions will develop and get sort of settled into our body other than just from our physical actions yeah, I mean, aside from injury as well as a big one, um, it, your mental outlook affects your posture. There's actually a great TED Talk out there by, I think it's Amy Cuddy, who talks about how your posture 
um, how, how your mind affects your posture and vice versa. I was going to just ask yeah. chicken or the egg, chicken or the egg. <laughs> which is so cool, you know, and which explains that part of rolfing where once people's posture changes, their life starts to change and it's quite Even dramatic. without making the emotional or mental changes first, by just purely starting with mm-hmm. the physical, the others can start to shift? Absolutely. And if you don't with rolfing, let's say you didn't change the mental or physical, uh, or mental or emotional at all, you just change the physical, then is it going to start to go back to the way it was because you have the fat, same factors sort of weighing on it or, people, or not? People will tend, the, the results of rolfing are always permanent. You never go back to how you were. Um, what I've noticed though is that people are starting to have quite dramatic changes and they're needing the tools to manage those changes. It's sort of like giving people a Ferrari suddenly and not giving them a driving lesson. And were you aware of that early on with your rolfing work? Because I think uh, with a lot of practitioners, they may not realize, especially those that may not realize how powerful they are at the beginning, they do sort of open up all these things and then send you off on your way. And that can be really traumatic if you don't have any tools or support system to deal with all of those things that have now been opened. Mm -hmm. Well, hopefully I haven't done any permanent damage to my early clients. (laughs) But I think what happens is that as therapists, we evolve along with our clients and we develop the tools that our clients need along the way. And so when you're working with someone, I was, was going to ask who your typical clients are, if there is a typical client, and how do you support them with working with all of the other elements that are coming up with the physical work? Well, up until now, I've just been sort of advising them along the way and giving them little tools, you know, how to breathe properly or or how to optimize their own breathing, what to eat and and sort of making it very case by case particular. But now I've um, decided to really focus on the mind and soul aspects as well with And were there moments in the earlier days when psychological issues or emotional issues were coming up and were you comfortable with that or how did you deal with it before you had more of a comprehensive practice? Yeah, they they come up often, not always. You know, there are still people I work with who just come in because their back hurts or they're trying to avoid some kind of surgery and and it stays pretty much in the purely physical. So that that happens as well. Um, But oftentimes emotional psychological material that's been stored in the fascia will just come up uh, spontaneously when we work in those places and I've always been comfortable with it like I said I'm naturally compassionate Um, and so do you talk them through it do you just go back to the breathe deeply (laughs) what what are your methods of of of, um, supporting it and handling it well we just uh, I create a really safe container in my office for people to fully express their feelings and the beauty of releasing these old issues through rolfing is that you can just fully express them as they are as they come out without having to get involved in the storyline behind them. So if an emotion arises, if someone starts crying, sometimes I've had people laughing, screaming, whatever it is, or it could be more subtle than that, uh, we just allow it to come out and that usually takes only about a minute and then it's gone and I'm just there supporting my clients through that process and once it's gone, it's gone. You don't have to talk about all the awful things that might have happened to you as a kid. and Or where or why. It or... Do, there's no story attached and uh, that's part of why things can be released once and for all because sometimes when we start getting too involved in the storyline, we can re-embed these deep emotional dramas that we've experienced. Right back in. So this definitely seems to suit your practical side as well. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a good fit. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about your program coming up, the VITAL program, which seems to be sort of a culmination and combination of your work to this date and, and putting together all these three elements. So maybe you could just talk a little about when it is and, and what it is and how people can participate, and then we'll delve in a little deeper to the aspects of it. 
Sure. I I just really noticed over the last sort of year, people really needing the other elements to the work, especially the people who are making such dramatic shifts in their lives, you know, changing careers, changing relationships, um, coming to optimum health and just really needing the, the support of the mind and soul practices. So uh, Vital, my new program, sort of developed itself um, originally, I envisioned it as a group program where people would come to me and do the individual rolfing series, which is 10 to 12 sessions, and then come together as a group to work on the mind and soul. And you've broken it up into sort of three primary sections. The first weeks, one through four, you're going to work on revamping an individual from the inside out with nutrition, breathing, movement patterns. Sounds like a good good way to start. Is this something that then they'll need to carry through for the next twelve weeks? Are you do you find that you said with Rolfing once someone that something has changed, it's it's pretty steadfast. So will this first four weeks be focused on primarily the the Rolfing work? Um, we'll be doing Rolfing throughout the whole twelve week period. So we'll have our individual sessions, and then I'm really interested in teaching people how to take care of themselves so uh, they can maintain themselves forevermore. And, and that's the piece I'm wondering about because it seems often people will find something, they'll start eating well for a little while, they'll start meditating for a little while and then sort of retreat back to old habits and patterns and wondering what it is you found in developing this system that supports people in maintaining the changes they've made. Well, it's the whole realization that we're not just a body and we're not just a mind and we do have a soul and a spiritual component and that we need to take care of all of those components uh, to feel well and if we really hope to make any long-term type of change or transformation. it's uh, I like to think of it as having three children. You can't not feed one of them because it's going to yell and scream and cry at you until you pay attention to it. So by taking care of our body, our mind and our soul all the time, uh, you have a sustainable change that starts to happen. And and again, I really want to emphasize that I'm really focused on teaching people how to get to know themselves really well because we're all slightly different and once you know yourself really well you can take much better care of yourself and what do you see the disconnect as in the people you're working with or people that you've seen friends family that you may not work with um, (laughs) as keeping them from doing that so if it's a matter of learning these tools and having body work and and, uh, putting these three pieces of our lives together, why aren't more people doing it? And why isn't it sustained more from people who maybe do start down that path? Do you have any sense of that? It's a big question, I know. Well, uh, yeah, I can only give my perspective. Firstly, I don't think everyone wants to. You know, a lot of us are invested in how we are and we don't feel like we want or need to change, which is perfectly fine. For the people who do feel like they need a change because some aspect of their life isn't working for them, whether it's pain in their body, um, mental frustration or some kind of uh, soullessness, depression or, or anxiety or any of those things, I just think that we haven't been taught how to how to recognize and take care of ourselves properly and do you feel like you talked earlier you made the analogy or the metaphor of of being given a ferrari (laughs) and not knowing how to drive it do you feel that once the people see the car and you're handing over the keys are they excited are they feeling empowered and feeling like this is something that they've wanted and are excited to have or are there multiple reactions to sort of knowing that that they're in charge i think across the board people are naturally excited because really all we're doing in this process we can talk about it like it's an evolution which it is but it's also an uncovering of people's original self so people just feel more like themselves again 
because we kind of overlay things uh, like uh, life experiences on top of who we authentically are inside. And is there an element of those 12 weeks where once the authentic self has emerged that we are learning how to accept that self and maybe embrace and say, okay, I guess I'm okay? Oh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, I've had that experience myself through my own processes and I see it with a lot of my clients it's like wow okay I feel really different I feel great but I'm not quite sure how to live maybe where you fit right (laughs) where you fit in this culture where you fit at your work where you fit in your your town or your job or your family once you've maybe peeled everything else off and come down to your authentic self right well and that's where the gradual piece comes in too people do have dramatic change but it's also subtle at the same time and and we keep it gradual that's why I work with people for at least 12 weeks because things don't change overnight and 12 weeks gives us enough time to start the momentum of change and give people the tools that they need to carry that through and uh, so far I haven't had anyone totally freaking out yet (laughs) it's going really well so um, yeah I'm so happy to be sharing this process with people All right. Well, this is Ellie Neiman on It's Relationship. I'm here with Sonia Summer. We're going to be back in just a moment to talk a little bit more about the mind and spiritual peace, the mindfulness, and a little more in depth of how Sonia got on this path and down it. We'll be back in just a moment. All right. We're back with just a few more minutes here with Sonia Summer on It's Relationship. And I want to talk a little bit about the mindfulness element and the work you're doing with that, not only in your vital program, but also with the community. So can you tell us a little bit about what mindfulness means and and who it's for and and how you use it? Yeah, it's for everybody. And I am so happy to be working with the Flourish Foundation and the children in our community teaching them mindfulness. It's basically just paying attention to everything that's happening in the present moment by noticing our breath, our body, uh, anything we can see or hear, which is a really powerful tool to have because only when we're in the present do we have any chance of making a new choice or an authentic uh, response to what's going on in our lives. So it's a really powerful tool. And what's the opposite? So there's <laughs> mindlessness. <laughs> Most of Where us. Where are we when we're mindless? We're somewhere else. We're in the past or the future most of the time. And I mentioned Bruce Lipton earlier just because I love the way he describes this. And he says that 99% of the time our subconscious mind is running our lives for us. So that means that we're not present because we're busy thinking about the past, worrying about the future or managing our lives. So there's that minute amount of time where we're present and mindful awareness really widens that gap. And as you said, with the focus on the past, that that's really embedding those experiences and that history and those emotions in us deeper and deeper, the more we go over it. Right. And and so what about with our minds being in the future rather than in the present? Well, I heard... What's the detriment there? <laughs> I, I think I've heard it put in a nutshell like this, that when you're worrying about the past, you're depressed, and when you're thinking about the future, you're anxious. So um, to come into the present, you're neither of those, <laughs> and you're fully aware. Even if there are things that you have concerns about, you're aware of that you're concerned so you're kind of separating yourself out from those emotions and what are the keys to being mindful Uh, the key elements practice 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 (laughs) um and is it like in meditation are you just constantly bringing your focus back into the present time yeah you can you can do specific meditations to practice doing that uh i like to keep it really simple and just have people bring their awareness to their breathing 
It's something that we're all doing all the time and it brings us right back to the present moment. So any time throughout your day you can stop and take a moment and notice your breathing. And, and what's the connectedness in, in mindfulness during practicing mindfulness between the sort of heart and the mind? Is there a focus of putting attention in one place rather than the other, or the physical, or are you are you uh, is the goal to be aware of of all of those simultaneously? I just have to share that my daughter does mindfulness in her school, and <laughs> she's just gotten back into it. And she's like, "Oh yeah, we did the mindfulness during flex when they get to do their homework." And she said, "I was just lying there thinking, number one, I'm hungry. Number two, I've got a lot of homework I have to do, and I'd really like to be getting it done instead of lying here on the floor." I thought, "Oh, well, that's all good. You were doing it. Uh, you were you were there in the moment." Yeah, and that's really all it is, is becoming aware of what's going on inside of ourselves, and the the kids are finding it really helpful to understand themselves and the emotions and experiences that they're having even if that is gosh I'm really hungry or I'm really tired to be aware of that is really powerful otherwise you don't know what's going on most of the time and so focusing on physical and mental and emotional awareness of of all three yeah, of everything, awareness of your thoughts, awareness of everything that you're experiencing right now through all of your senses. And you can use all senses to do that. You might practice mindful awareness of smells and you might notice what you smell or of sights and what you're seeing and and certainly of thoughts because we all have those crazy thoughts going round and round in our heads and it's not until we can step outside of them and notice them and with the is it similar with the rolfing that once we notice them and accept them and allow them to be that they will just disappear do we have to do anything else well there it's a little more involved but really that's the major step is to become aware and separate ourselves from those experiences that we're having so that they're not just running our lives and our bodies and then minds. the authentic self rises That's once right. we clear that away? Yeah, pretty much, pretty much, because the authentic self can only live in the present moment. Otherwise, we're just a tape recording that we recorded when we were little kids that just runs continuously. All right, with that, we've run out of time. If you wouldn't mind just giving people a little information of how they can connect with you for any of this work or to join the vital program and then we'll sign off. Okay. I invite people always if they have any interest in what I've had to say here today to just come on in for a free consultation. Um, you can go to my website, soniasoma.com. Uh, you can uh, contact me via phone or email at sonia at soniasoma.com and uh, we can take it from there. I'd love to help you. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Sonia. It's great to speak with you. Thanks, Ellie. Good to be here. For all my people. For all my people. Check. I write this today so when World War Three starts, I can look back and know what I was thinking, I was thinking.